Colossians 3.15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Welcome back to Bible time. We are going to just back up just a second and pick up verse 15. We didn't look at it in detail, and as I was studying this morning, it seemed to be what the Lord led me to do. So here we go. We're going to look at the peace of God today. Um, uh, our verse again says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Father, in Jesus' name, we rec- recognize that true peace comes from you, and we ask you, Lord God, to give us peace. We ask you to help us understand peace, and we help us help, and help us, Lord God, to find peace with you if we do not have it already, and to walk in the peace, to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now as we get into this, I hope I won't mumble much. I had to go to the dentist, and they had to work on one of my teeth and um, poke my mouth and shoot stuff in there to numb it, and so most of that's worn off now. It's one of the reasons why we're kind of late getting this out, but um, hopefully I'll be able to speak clearly, and I hope you'll be able to hear me today. Um, So the peace of God in Colossians 3.15 is to rule in our hearts. Go to Romans 5 and verse 1. Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if I forget to come back to that verse later, you remind me, but um, that is a key verse for this text and um, a key verse in all the Bible. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's go to the first mention of peace in the Bible. Go to Genesis 15, 15. Genesis 15, 15. Here is Abraham. God is speaking to Abraham. He'd given him a promise in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. By the way, that is extremely um, key to understanding peace. Right here it says in verse 1, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram. You'll get that. If you haven't got it already, you'll get it by the end of this message, um, we hope. Verse 15, he says to him, after all of these promises and everything that he told him, he says in verse 15, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. So here's this promise to Abram, and Abram said, I go childless. What wilt thou give me, seeing the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? Now, Abram was taken out of Ur of the Chaldees by God, and he was told to go into the land that, he, that God would tell him of, and he left with um, his father and with Lot, and he had to shed some baggage along the way, some human baggage, before he could get to the place where God could use him. Now, Abraham, there's no indication that he ever wanted to lose um, close fellowship and communion with his family members, but it was a sad reality that he had to in order to obey God, and that's often the case, actually. Jesus Christ said that a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Often what keeps people from following 
following Jesus is the loss of human relationships that it involves. Whenever you follow Jesus, you'll find out real fast who will follow Jesus and who won't follow Jesus. And the harder you follow Jesus, the more people you'll lose along the way as you try to follow hard after Christ and stay close to him. Not because you're trying to get rid of people or because you don't love people, but simply because most people will not deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Christ. So when you do it, it condemns them. And over time, there will be a breaking of fellowship or a breakdown in fellowship due to that very factor. Now, Abram had lost most of his family by this point. And in chapter 15, he is looking for this promise that God's going to give him the land, but he doesn't have an heir and he's an old man. So what would the land, what good would the land do him? If he inherited all the land tomorrow, it wouldn't do him very much good. In a few years, he would die his body laid in the grave and the heir of his house is this Eliezer of Damascus. Well, God here promises a son and, um, Promises God, this um, promises Abraham, this shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels, he shall be thine heir. The Bible says in verse 6, and he believed in the Lord. That's Abram believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him for righteousness. God says there, and he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said, take me in heifer of three years old. We're not going to get into all that right now. But they had a covenant that they set up. And Abram fell asleep during that time. Abram could not keep the covenant. He wanted a sign that God would keep his word. And God said, okay, set up the covenant sacrifice. And Abram set it up. And he divided the animals as the custom was in that day. And he tried to drive away the birds from landing on the on the covenant flesh. And, here, and it... Over time, his eyes grew heavy and he fell asleep. A horror of great darkness came upon him. So guess what? Abram, first of all, had the word of the Lord come to him. Secondly, he wanted to be sure, so he tried to keep the covenant. He could not keep the covenant. He fell asleep. And here God passed through. A smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed through. We're not going to get into all this right now. It's a beautiful picture of grace. And that would be in verse 17, that when the sun went down, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those two pieces. Verse 18, in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying unto thy seed, have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, etc." So here the word of the Lord came unto Abram. Abram believed the Lord. Abram tried to keep the Lord. Abram fell asleep trying to keep the word of the Lord. He could not keep the word of the Lord. And instead, God Almighty had to keep the word of the Lord. But God told Abraham, thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. So what was the peace that God offered? The peace that Abram got was through the word of God. It was through belief in the word of God. And once Abram believed God and God then counted it to Abram for righteousness, Abram tried to keep the word of God and failed, fell asleep. And God said, don't worry about it, Abraham. I I've got your back. I've got it. I'm going to establish this covenant. I'm going to handle this covenant. I have said that I will do what I will do, and I will do what I said I would do. And I'm going to do it regardless, Abram, of your performance. 
Do you hear me today? So the peace of God that was promised was that Abraham would die in peace. Now, dying doesn't seem very peaceful, but God is saying to Abram throughout right to the end to the last day that you live, I've got it handled. I've got it handled now. I've got it handled tomorrow. I've got it handled next year. I've got it handled until the day you lay your head down for the last time and close your eyes in death. I've got it handled. You are going to lay your head down and go to your fathers in peace. I've got this. I'm going to take care of it. And this is the first mention of peace in the Bible in the midst of a covenant that was being established and a covenant not by works but by grace that was given through faith imputed righteousness whenever Abraham believed God the Bible says in verse 6 he counted it to him for righteousness hallelujah so Abraham's belief in almighty God resulted in God counting righteousness to Abraham imputing the righteousness to Abraham's account and then when Abraham Abram is still called Abram at this point tried to keep the covenant he couldn't do it and he fell asleep and a horror of great darkness came upon him and behold God said to him thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace and what was the sign of the covenant the smoking furnace and the burning lamp that passed between the parts go to Genesis 26 the second mention of peace in the Bible the first mention of peace was a promise of peace from God to a man based upon the man's faith in the word of God. The second mention of peace in the Bible is Genesis 26, 29. Now here Abimelech has come to Isaac. In verse 26, he came um, and Isaac said unto them in 27, Wherefore come ye to me? They said, We saw certainly that the Lord was with thee. You can look up the context here. And in verse 29, he says, or in 28, he says, And let us make a covenant with thee that thou wilt do us no hurt as we have not touched thee and as we have done unto thee nothing but good and have sent thee away in peace. Thou art now the blessed of the Lord. So here was a reference to physical, carnal, temporal peace. Abimelech had told Isaac, I have sent you away in peace. Um, let's make a covenant together. And the basis for the covenant between these two men was the fact of their previous peace. The fact that they were able to live in peace before was that upon which they established the covenant to continue living in peace. This was a temporal agreement. Look at verse 31. And they rose up betimes in the morning and swear one to another. And Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. Now, we're living in a time of upheaval in the world. Ukraine is facing a major uh, warfare that's going on between Ukraine and Russia. And we're not going to get into all that right now. I grieve to see people suffering and dying no matter what the situation is or where they're from. It's not God's will. But Jesus Christ did say that in the last days we would see wars and rumors of wars. And I believe this is just the beginning of a, wi a worldwide 
um, increase in conflict um, that is about to just be poured out upon this earth. God is very angry. The Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. And the wickedness, the sin, the filth, the adultery, the idolatry, the murder, the incest, the molestation, all the things happening across this world have God angry with this world. And God's judgment cannot linger forever, though he is full of long-suffering. He is full of mercy. You say, God's a God of love. How can a God of love judge? If you say you love your daughter, are you going to let somebody steal your daughter and destroy her and do horrible, wicked things to her? Not if you truly love her. And God is a God of love. And whenever people are wicked to people, God will judge people. God is a God of love. And the fact that he's a God of love is part of why he's a God of judgment, a God of jealousy, a God of wrath. All of those things are things that he claims in the word of God. He is a God of love, but he is also a jealous God, a wrathful God, an angry God, a long-suffering God, a merciful God, a loving God. You don't get to pick and choose which parts of God's character and nature you like. If you do that, you're making your own God up just from scratch, making a God after your own imagination and to fulfill your own lusts. And did you know that God in no way has ever chosen to and never will bind himself to your imagination of who he is? And whenever we die and stand before the judgment seat, God's gonna, not going to say, oh, you thought I was nicer than that? You thought I wouldn't judge that? Okay, you get a pass because that's what you thought I would do. That's not how God operates. In fact, God operates according to his word. And why does he operate according to his word? Because he said it. And part of God's nature is that he is true. He is faithful. He is righteous. He is just. And God says what he means and he means what he says. And when he says he's going to do something, he does it. And when he says he won't do something, he won't do it. Did you know that God in his word said that he will not acquit the wicked. That means he will not give them a free pass. He will not give them a pardon carte blanche. God has conditional forgiveness available based upon the blood of Jesus Christ, but you must come biblically with a biblical faith based on the biblical God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, living a perfect sinless life, dying on the cross for your sins, and buried and rose again the third day. And if you have any other kind of belief or faith that does not affect or change God your imagination does not determine who God is God has already declared who he is now here are men who have made a carnal peace covenant and they came because of previous peace and they're leaving in continued peace and we wish for and hope for peace we wish for and hope for peace in Ukraine right now if I heard today that the war was over in Ukraine I would be thrilled I would be so happy now that doesn't um Sometimes war is over because the good guys all die or and the oppressor wins. And I'm not hoping for that at all. But I am hoping that the war will be over and that there will be peace. Peace at the expense of life and liberty is not true peace. And that brings up the whole discussion of what is true peace. We're looking at a human peace covenant. And that's why we're talking about human peace right now. Now, if you have peace with your neighbor... 
And you're sitting there in your house and your neighbor's sitting in his house and you have a peaceful relationship. And then one day you see your neighbor has just brought in a pickup truck and drove over all of the flowers that you planted along your border with him. And he starts to set up a fence eight feet on your side of the line while he's driving over your flower beds. There's going to be a breach in peace. Now that breach in peace will hopefully not come to bloodshed, but it will be a breach in peace and it will probably involve some hard words. And if he doesn't get off of your flower beds and remove his friends from your property, there's very likely going to be some legal battles that will ensue. And as he's started to take over your land, you're going to begin to try to keep your land. And there'll be a back and forth and a battle for peace. Now, if you want peace, you can be sitting there wanting peace. You can be sitting there wanting peace, wishing for peace, hoping for peace, and you can say, you know what, I love peace. And for the sake of peace, I'm, going, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to let him build the fence. So you let him build the fence, and you have peace, but that peace cost you something. And then it isn't very long, and you see a cement truck back up into your yard right in front of your house. And there's the neighbor again, and he's marking out a place for his new store right in your front yard. And you say, well, I want, where's your line at? Everybody's got a line somewhere. Everybody says, oh, peace, 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 man, peace, brother. Let's all have peace. They do the peace sign and have peace symbols until somebody steps on their toes. And then you find out pretty quick that they're not for peace. They're for war. Everybody's got a line sooner or later. They're going to stand up and say, wait a second, this is not right. I own that property. And the same is true with any other area or relationship with life. So human peace is a temporal peace. Human peace is based on human relationships. Human peace is based on the rise and fall of emotion. Human peace is based on the rise and fall of economies. Human peace is based on the ebb and flow of politics. Human peace can change overnight. Human peace can change because your neighbor gets high or gets drunk and goes off the deep end and goes wild and all of a sudden even though you had a good relationship now you don't anymore and you are having to defend your property and your land and your family from a man or a woman that you once had some fellowship with and you once enjoyed peace with human peace is temporal human peace is conditional human peace is fleeting human peace is is completely conditional based on the completely volatile nature of mankind So God's peace that God promised Abraham was based on God's word. And because it was based on God's word, it was eternal peace. Because it was based on God's word, it was sure peace. Because it was based on God's word, the condition being God's own word to fulfill his promises, even though it was conditional peace, God being an unconditionally holy God who cannot lie, made that peace an eternal, a perfect, a preserved, 
reserved and a reserved peace. It could not be denied to Abraham. Abram had peace with God. Abram believed the word of God and God imputed it to him for righteousness. And God told Abram, you will go to your fathers in peace. And hell could not change that. Abimelech could not change that. Pharaoh could not change that. All the devils in hell could not change that because God had said, Abram, thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. This is the difference between God's peace and man's fickle peace. Now I want you to go to Habakkuk 3 and verse 17. Worldly peace accompanies advancement. It accompanies promotion and prosperity. It accompanies entertainment, um, spending, romance, vacation, thrills, excitement. Worldly peace can be bought. Um, An interesting thing about worldly peace is that while it can be bought, it usually costs more to get the next dose of peace than the first time. And every time you buy peace from the world, you have to pay a little more to get some of it back. Somebody that wants peace, they'll go out and say, I just need some peace. I'm hot. I'm bothered. I'm tired. I'm irritated. I haven't been treated right. And they grab a fifth of whiskey or they get a um, flask of gin and they go down and they have themselves a drink and they have another drink until they forget their sorrows and they fall asleep in a drunken stupor having forgotten all of their sorrows and all of their troubles the problem is next time they go to buy worldly peace at the at the mouth of a liquor bottle it takes more liquor and it takes more liquor and it takes more liquor and it takes more liquor until they are an alcoholic and they still don't have peace and they're drinking and drinking and drinking I remember trying to talk to a man about the Lord Jesus Christ and about the peace that Jesus gives and he was holding a a water bottle and in that water bottle was obviously whiskey it was in an area where it was illegal to have open containers of whiskey in a public area in a city in Missouri And it was illegal to have those containers. And as I tried to talk to the man, he lasted about five minutes before he started shaking violently. And pretty soon he was taking a sip out of his water bottle. And I could smell that liquor and I could see from the effects of that little sip that he would take every five minutes that that wasn't water in that water bottle. That man had bought peace until peace had come at such a premium he couldn't afford it. His body could no longer sustain the price. He could not stay drunk enough to have peace. And he had no peace and yet he was drunk. And did you know that that's the way that all of the world's peace goes? If you want to have peace through romance, it'll last for a little while, but it'll start to wear off. The body doesn't stay 18 forever. The hormones don't stay level. The the body just cannot perform like it once performed. If you try and buy peace at the expense of thrills, it'll take a bigger thrill. It'll take a more dangerous act. It'll take something scarier than ever. If you try and get peace through shock therapy, that'll work the first time maybe, but when that wears off, you're stuck with all the fears of the shock that you got last time and you've got to get more fear and you've got to get more shock to try and numb your nerves and give yourself some peace. That's why America is 
has gone wholesale after horror and all of the horrible things that you see in here. And you say, how can people even watch that or listen to that or be around that? We have a fear factory out here in Mountain Grove, Missouri, and it's a place where people come just to get scared. It's full of demonic things. It's full of um, witchcraft. It's full of sinful, wicked, fearful things. And people will come just to scare themselves. But I've got news for you. If you do that enough, it won't work anymore. You'll come to the point where the peace that you're, that you're buying, it doesn't work anymore. But God's peace works in the drought. Look at Habakkuk 3.17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. Do you hear what he's saying here? The fig tree not blossom, that means no figs. Neither shall fruit be in the vines. And we're talking about a land of vineyards suddenly being dried up and there being no grapes at harvest time. He says the labor of the olive shall fail. So the olive tree that Israel depended on as a major exporter of olive oil and here comes a drought that is going to affect the olive crop and it will fail and the fields shall yield no meat. There's no wheat. There's no flax. There's no barley. There's no oats. There's no rice. There's no grain. The fields have yielded no meat. The flocks shall be be cut off from the fold. The sheep are gone. The goats are gone, which is implying that the cattle are not far behind. And it says, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. There's your cattle and they're gone and everything's gone and the food is gone and the land is destroyed. And whether it be drought or whether it be war or whether it be famine, there's no food to buy. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet and he will make me walk upon mine high places. Hallelujah. We're talking about a peace that can survive the drought. We're talking about a peace that can overcome the famine. We're talking about a peace that can give you the ability to lay your head down at night and go to sleep and rest in peace even though there's no food in the pantry and you don't know how you're going to feed your family tomorrow and there's no food at the grocery store and there's no food at the next grocery store down the road and there's no food coming on the trucks and people have already fished all the suckers out of the creeks and people have already killed all the coons and you don't know how you're going to eat anything you're probably just going to die of hunger but you've got peace in your heart if you've got the peace of God yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will joy in the God of my salvation The Bible says in the book of Revelation during that seven year peace treaty that the Antichrist will make with this world. The world will sell their souls to the devil for seven years of supposed peace. And when they do that, it'll get so bad during the middle of that thing that the Bible says that people will call upon the rocks to fall upon them and kill them and hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. The Bible says that people will seek death and not be able to find it in the midst of the greatest peace treaty this world will ever see. 
and the supposed greatest time of prosperity that this world will ever see. People will seek for death and not be able to find it. But God says in his word, in the midst of the worst famine, in the midst of the worst drought, in the midst of the times of greatest want, this man says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is God's peace. We're going to zoom in closely on a story here from the Old Testament. Um, Go to Genesis 41. Colossians 3 again says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. What a beautiful statement. We're going to study that. We're going to look at it. We're going to see what God means by this today. In a day of false peace that comes in a bottle. False peace that comes in a little, little tub of pills. False peace that comes at the lips of false prophets crying peace peace and prosperity believe in God and everything will go all right believe in God and your business will double believe in God and you'll be driving a new truck send us your seed money have faith in God and everything will go right you'll be healed of your cancer all these false prophets crying peace peace to my people when there is no peace because God is angry with the wicked and God is angry with the sin and the judgment of God God is coming on this land, but I tell you today, there is peace. There's peace that goes beyond a new car, peace that goes beyond a mansion on 150 acres. There's peace that goes beyond owning vineyards and olive yards and all of the good things that this life has to offer. There's a peace that you can go to the grave with. The first mention of peace in the Bible was a peace that you can die with. Do you hear me today? The peace that God gives is a peace you can die with hallelujah not the fake peace that only lasts as long as the going good is good but a peace that you can die with now here in genesis 41 we start with a ruler named pharaoh and he dreams a dream and it came to pass at the end of two full years that pharaoh dreamed and behold he stood by the river and behold there came out of the river seven well-favored kine and fat-fleshed and they fed in a meadow and behold seven other kind came up after them out of the river ill-favored and lean-fleshed and stood by the other kind upon the brink of the river And the ill-favored and lean-fleshed kine did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kine. So Pharaoh awoke, and he slept and dreamed the second time. Maybe he thought this was just a, a fluke. And he slept and dreamed the second time. The scripture continues in verse 5. Behold, this it says... 6, verse 6, and behold, the seven thin years, I'm sorry, verse 5, and he slept and dreamed the second time, and behold, seven years of corn came up upon one stalk, rank and good. And behold, seven thin years, blasted with the east wind, sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears, and a pharaoh awoke. And behold, it was a dream. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Now here was a ruler that was troubled. He was troubled by a dream. 
Now, God says in his word that he is able to speak to men as they sleep. Not all, not all dreams are God speaking to you. Not all dreams are anything. I wouldn't lay much stock in dreams if I were you. You can have a bad dream because you ate pizza last night and pigged out and had too much of it. But this was a dream from God. God had sent this dream and he'd sent it to the ruler and it had troubled the ruler and he couldn't get over it. Now, a bunch of theologians and scholars would tell you that this was because Pharaoh was superstitious. And I have, I just need to tell you something today. If they ever got a dream from God, they'd get awful superstitious awful fast, if that's what they want to call it. God knows how to upset your apple cart. God knows how to get your attention. God knows how to make something so real to you that you know it's not just a dream. And that's what happened to Pharaoh. This does not mean that Pharaoh was superstitious though we know that he was a pagan and we know he believed in false gods and superstition this goes way beyond superstition God Almighty had troubled Pharaoh's heart with a dream, back-to-back dreams that were so real in his heart that he knew that there was something he needed to know and it was bothering him it was bothering him deeply Verse 8, and it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh saying, I do remember my faults this day. Now this is telling us the story from the butler's memory that you can go back and read in the context of Joseph in the prison. And this, when we started reading, and it said and it came to pass at the end of two full years. That's how much time has happened, has passed since the butler's story he's about to tell. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in ward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker, and we dreamed a dream in one night, I and he. We dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man, an Hebrew, servant this is all significant pay close attention to the details here a young man an hebrew servant to the captain of the guard and we told him and interpreted and he interpreted to us our dreams to each man according to his dream he did interpret and it came to pass as he interpreted to us in other words it happened just like he said Verse 13, so it was me he restored unto mine office and him he hanged. Go back and get the backstory. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. Now, I want to notice a couple things before we read what Joseph said. First of all, as we said, Pharaoh was troubled by this dream, supernaturally troubled. And secondly, there was no answer for Pharaoh in the world. Pharaoh called his magicians. He called his astrologers. He called all of his people in that could divine for him, all his superstition people, all of his scientists, all of his smart people, everybody in the religious realm and in the science realm, and nobody had an answer for him. And there's going to be some times and some things God allows to happen that the world has no answers for. Right now I can tell you one of them, that's death. 
There will come a day if you live to have a slow enough death that the doctors can see you and prescribe your illness that they will or excuse me, diagnose your illness, that they will come into the room and tell you or perhaps your family, we know what the problem is, but there's nothing we can do about it. We don't know how to fix it. We've done everything that we can do. And there will come a day whenever the world has no more answers for you. Science with all of its laboratories and gadgets and gizmos will have no more answers for you. There will come a day whenever you have to face death. And remember, the first peace mentioned in the Bible was a peace to face death with. A peace that you can go to the grave with. A peace that makes it okay to die. Now notice that he's called for Joseph. First, Pharaoh was troubled. Secondly, there was no answer in the world. Egypt itself is a type of the world. And thirdly, the answer came from an obscure, unknown Hebrew prophet. A young man. How about that? And he was proclaiming God's word. Look what he says right here. Pharaoh said, I've heard that thou, that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Now, I remember a young Hebrew man that had a ministry in Galilee in about 2,000 years ago. And he walked about Galilee preaching and proclaiming the word of God. The world was out of answers. But this young Hebrew man was the very son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, and his name was Jesus Christ, who Joseph here is a type of. And Jesus Christ would give the world the answers to the questions that religion and science had failed to comprehend hand and give answers to in all of their searchings and all of their seekings and here joseph says to pharaoh god shall give pharaoh an answer of what what does it say an answer of peace god shall give pharaoh an answer of peace notice the source of the peace would come from the word of god just like the first mention of peace in the bible abram's peace was given only by faith in the word of god now here the answer that is given will notice fourthly deals with judgment to come Verse 17, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, in my dream, behold, I stood upon the bank of the river and behold, there came up out of the river seven kind, fat fleshed and well favored and they fed in a meadow and behold, seven other kind came up after them, poor and very ill favored and lean fleshed such as I never saw in all the land of Egypt for badness and the lean and the ill-favored kind did eat up the first seven fat kind and when they had eaten them up it, it could not be known that they had eaten them but they were still ill-favored as at the beginning so I awoke and I saw in my dream and behold seven ears came up in one stalk full and good can you imagine a stalk of corn with seven full good ears of corn upon it and it says here, and behold, the seven ears, and behold, seven ears withered thin and blasted with the east wind sprung up after them. And the thin ears devoured the seven good ears. And I told this unto the magicians, but there was none that could declare it to me. 
And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. So the source of the answer did not come from the world. It came through the mouth of an obscure Hebrew prophet who was found in the form of a servant. That though he was an heir, Joseph was an heir of the promise of Abram of all the land of Canaan. Yet he had humbled himself and become obedient to the will of God and chosen to be found in the form of a servant. He could have been sulking in that prison, but he was found serving in the prison because he's a type of Christ. And God put that in his heart. And you can see that in Philippians 2, 4 through 8 in an authorized version Bible, the word of God. The other Bibles turn it upside down and say that Jesus thought not to be equal with God. Philippians 2 says that Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he thought he did not think it was robbery to be equal with God, yet he was found as a servant. And here's Joseph found a servant to the captain of the guards, though he was heir of the promised land. And the answer came from this heir who is found in obscurity, who is found in humility, who is found in the form of a servant, but who had the words of God. Jesus Christ said, I speak not mine own words, but the words which the Father giveth me. Joseph said to Pharaoh, it is not in me, but God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. This answer dealt with judgment. Look at what Joseph said. And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good kind are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. And the seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there comes seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt and there shall arise after them seven years of famine and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt and the famine shall consume the land and the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following for it shall be very grievous and for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice it is because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, the prophet brought a word from God that spoke of judgment to come. But even better than that, what had he promised Pharaoh? How much peace can you get from a, from a promise of judgment? How much peace comes to your heart when you hear the man say, you're going to have seven years of famine that will eat up the best seven years your country ever produced and there will be nothing left? Will that give you peace? That would not give you peace. It would take away peace, but it would take away temporal, worldly peace. The kind of peace that God gives is eternal. The kind of peace that the world gives just went out the window when Joseph gave the interpretation of this dream. 
But not only did an answer of judgment come, the promised answer of peace is about to come. But it's going to come through the Hebrew. Do you hear me? It's going to come through that Hebrew servant. It's going to come through that Hebrew slave. That Hebrew that was passed over. That was despised and rejected by his kinsmen, by his brethren, the other Hebrews. That Hebrew servant who was sold into slavery, who was turned over to the Egyptians just like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was despised and turned over to Pilate for destruction. And that message was given to the Gentiles, to the Egyptians. And by the way, guess what? The Egyptians, by heeding the message of Joseph, would make a way for the Hebrews to be preserved from the famine. How about that? Boy, if that doesn't excite you, you probably don't, haven't read your Bible nearly enough. I'll just say it that way. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ came through the Jews from a Hebrew who was who is the Son of God, who took on him the form of a servant, and when he was rejected by his brethren, he gave the Gentile world an answer of peace. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And that answer of peace has given the gospel to the Gentile world, so that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life life that never ends life that doesn't run out whenever Ukraine and Russia go to war life that doesn't run out when the semi trucks can't drive anymore and the shelves of the grocery store are empty eternal life and that eternal life that he gave guess what is going to be that by which God Almighty preserves the Jewish race and restores them to their place of national privilege Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it won't be the Gentiles that restore the Hebrews. Get this. It'll be the servant. It'll be Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, ruling and reigning over the Gentiles, coming back in clouds of glory with his saints behind him. As the word of God says, lo, he comes with ten thousands of his saints, the Gentile bride of Christ, who will be following Jesus Christ, but they will not be Jews, and they will watch and they will be there whenever Jesus Christ receives his brethren back again and says to them, ye meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Hallelujah. This answer of peace came a solution by God, a solution to escape the wrath of Almighty God, the judgment of Almighty God. But the solution came through the Hebrew boy. The he, he wasn't a boy anymore. He was about 30 or so years old. About the age that Jesus Christ was when he died on the cross at Calvary and gave a solution to the world for the sins of the world that were going to condemn every man, woman, and child that ever lived to an eternity in the lake of fire according to the judgment of a righteous and holy God. Hallelujah. He says here, Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man. 
Pharaoh, the answer to your problem is in a man, not just any man, discreet and wise. And set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt that the land perish not through the famine the, and the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants and Pharaoh said unto his servants can we find such a one as this can we find such a one as this a man in whom the spirit of God is and I say to you today, can we find such a man as this, Jesus Christ, the righteous, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we find such a man as this is, a man in whom the spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house. Get this today. And this is going to get us into the second part of our text. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. We've been looking at the peace of God, and now we're going to look at how the peace of God rules in your heart. How did Pharaoh get the answer of peace? Joseph told Pharaoh the problem the judgment Joseph told Pharaoh the solution but Pharaoh found the answer of peace when he submitted to the word of almighty God spoken by that Hebrew servant do you see it today do you see it today obedience submission to Jesus Christ through faith in his word turns the desert into a paradise look what Joseph said in verse 51 and 52 and Joseph called the name of the firstborn he had these two children born he named the first one Manasseh for God said he hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house 52 and the name of the second called he Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And when you submit to the word of Almighty God, therefore being justified by faith. Faith means taking God at his word. Believing God said what he said and he's going to do what he said. And making your entire life revolve around the fact that God is who he said he is. And he's going to do what he said he's gonna do that's faith in almighty God therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ submission to Christ through faith in his word turns the desert into a paradise Joseph himself had said it and look at Genesis 47 and we're going to see what peace did when peace ruled I have something to tell you today peace comes through Jesus Christ. Peace that you can die with comes from knowing God, from being born again by the power of God, from walking in the Spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh, which means obeying the Word of God. Here in Genesis 47, 
starting in verse 13. And there was no bread in all the land for the famine was very sore. And remember what Jesus Christ said about the bread. He said, the bread is my body, which I give for you. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, or drinketh not, eateth not my flesh and drinketh not my blood, hath no part in me. And he said, he said right there, he didn't want you to eat his literal flesh and blood. He said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So what are, what is the flesh of Jesus Christ? It is accepting the gospel account in the word of God and every word of God. The Bible says man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God and when you take God's word by faith and say I believe you God I believe you said what you said I believe you meant what you said I believe that you have told me what you said you've given me a Bible I can trust it no matter what the scholars say no matter what the theologians say I can go back to my old authorized version Bible in English and read the perfectly preserved word of almighty God and I can eat the bread Every day man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And right here, Joseph, they came to him and said, there's no bread in the land. Well, they came to the right place because Joseph is the manna that came. He's a picture of Christ, the manna that fell down from heaven in the wilderness, the bread that the children of Israel ate for 40 years that never gave out. And old Joseph, he's got the corn. So they come to Joseph there and they say, there's no more bread in the land for the famine is sore. <clears throat> for the famine was very sore so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt. By the way, whenever you turn to Jesus Christ, he's going to rule over your money. They said in verse 17, they brought their cattle. Whenever you follow Jesus, he's going to get your cattle. It says whenever, that they brought him the land in verse 20. And Joseph brought all, bought all the land of Pharaoh for Egypt. And he told them, you give Pharaoh 20%, you can keep 80. And they said, yes, sir, yes, sir. And by the way, whenever you come to Jesus Christ by faith, he gets your money. He gets your land. He gets your cattle. He gets your heart. He gets your home. He gets your TV. He gets your remote. He he gets your bookshelf. He gets your car keys. He tells you where to go. He tells you when to go. He tells you how long to go. And if you're not going to obey Jesus, you're not going to have any peace. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Joseph brought the people prosperity in the midst of drought. Egypt found its greatest success and rose to the position of world superpower during this time, physically speaking, during under the rulership and stewardship of Joseph. Now, whenever you come to Jesus Christ, your physical belongings may dwindle. God may tell you to give your money to some poor orphanage or some missionary somewhere, and you might not have it. <clears throat> You, God may tell you, sell your house, give alms and follow me like you told the rich young, young ruler. But there's corn laid up for you. And the answer that he gives you is an answer of peace. 
and that as long as you're under his rule and his authority, you can expect peace in your heart, though the olive tree fail. Let's go to Habakkuk again, and then we'll go to Romans, and then we'll be done. Habakkuk chapter 3. The Bible says of Christians, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. You may lose the farm, not just figuratively following Jesus. It might cost you everything to follow Jesus. Jesus himself said that, but it'll be worth it. Habakkuk 3, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation, the Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places." to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. And we're just going to close right there. God use this, I pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.